Hey folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast where we talk about albums we think are great and that are unsung and then you guys decide if we're right or wrong. <laughs> Dave has fallen over. <laughs> Chris is looking resplendent in the sunlight. I've got a J.J. Abrams lens flare effect. Is that right, David? That is correct, yeah. Well done. You're such a movie nerd, Chris. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mark has just spent an hour grappling with a, an unwanted update and he's trying to feign enthusiasm at this yeah, point. I want to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> even, even though he's spent longer swearing at his computer than most of this week's band's entire discography put together. Yep. Uh, but That's the dedication so- that we have for you listeners. Yeah, we're going to soldier on. Me and David spent that hour mainly just bonding. Um, so you're probably going to notice much more of a kinship between us and Mark being a little bit othered this week. <laughs> do you know what, though? Do you know what I've, just, I've noticed is that we rarely actually speak directly to the listener. We just talk to each other and expect that, them to listen. I don't and know about you, listen- but that, that's because I assume nobody's actually listening. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Where, if you think of the listener in your mind's eye... Who do you see? What do you see? I see what Chris. Does your generic <laughs> listener for unsung look like Chris? Uh, Just Chris editing. Well, yeah. look, <laughs> looks all oh, right. So looks like me. I thought you were deferring to me for comment. All right. I th- sometimes alternate between uh, sometime guest Vicky Henry, some sort of a cantankerous weebism that decides to pull us up on our every misstep. Uh, and um, you're kind of like mildly incensed basement dwelling gamer type uh, one of the the large number of people that apparently listen to the show but we never hear from (laughs) 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 who who I assume only tune in to be pissed off at something that we've said or are are misled by a hashtag or my constantly referencing Nazis they come here for the wrong reasons thinking oh no they're slagging it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh damn it So I got the, the wrong end of the stick Well if you see yourself In that second description I got news for you Stay tuned this week cause <laughs> <laughs> Some of your favourite Slaggings in store uh, Talking of which I actually got myself uh, the, the Facebook ban hammer came down to me And it's really Mark's fault I, I got my 24 hour ban today uh, Whilst researching For this project oh. And getting a little bit miffed at some chat that was going on. And I was like, no, 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 no. You guys are completely wrong. And in fact, you're cunts. <laughs> and the ban hammer slammed me in the heat. So um, are you banned from that group? Or are you actually banned from Facebook? I'm banned from Facebook. I can't For a whole day. For, for a day. I can't even like stuff. I didn't realise that. And the thing was, I was in the midst of typing the most brilliant, erudite, Response: A game-changing <laughs> rebuttal. <laughs> the one that would have knocked this silly uh, Nazi patter on on the head. CNN would have reported on it. <laughs> They'd have just held their hands up, like a, a text would have gone round worldwide saying, mm. "Hey guys, we've been found out. <laughs> Fascism is over." <laughs> it was the wild stallions of Facebook responses, and it'll never be seen because I tried to repost, uh, and it just it was like, "No, no, you are you are not welcome." So yeah, I'm a non-person until around about five tomorrow, uh, and that is courtesy of Mark choosing a band called All Pigs Must Die. Uh, that is a statement. Yeah, that is. Very much so. 
And it's not it's not a carnivorous statement, is it? They don't just really like bacon. <laughs> no, no. I, th- I think it's a it's a really silly it's a very silly statement, really. Before we dive into the thing fully, I just want to give a shout out to Archie Moss, who sent us ten pounds via PayPal this week. Thank you very much, Archie. We appreciate your one-off contribution to this podcast. You can go to unsungpod.net for slash donate and make your one-off contribution or your longer-term commitment via Patreon. The options are there. Yeah, thanks to all our Patreon people. I mean, it's kind of absurd that people pay to listen to us, but it's very nice. Yeah, we figured out that one person had spent nearly five hundred dollars over the course of their subscription with us, which Don't is tell frankly, them that. They might frankly realize. insane. <laughs> ah, exactly. They might discontinue. See, is that is that fucking direct debit still going? It. <laughs> uh, it'll be like one of those bank things where there'll be an advert on TV. Are you eligible for a refund from Unsung Podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're the next PPI <laughs> bank uh, lawyers through college. Anyway, so all pigs must die. Mark, why? <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Uh, so, all pigs must die. Sorry, what's what, what's the album called, Mark? Well, the album's called. Uh, so I was going to get onto the album's called "Nothing Violates This Nature." It's our second release. Um, I, I heard recently that they were not a band anymore, but Wikipedia says that they're still active, which is strange. But yeah, All Pick Must Die really born out of three bands, I suppose. Yeah, there's Kevin Baker of The Hope Conspiracy, who are really, you know, upon reflection, were a really important force in, in that kind of Boston, Massachusetts, melodic hardcore thing. It's all Their, their first album, Code Blue, was actually one of the first hardcore records I'd ever heard. I didn't have I didn't have much love for it at the time, but they since went on to release an album called Death Knows Your Name, which I think is a really good record. Um, that was the they last. They were on Hydrahead, is that right? They were on Hydrahead Records. No, sorry, they were on Equal Vision Records, and they still are apparently a band as well, um, even though they haven't released anything since two thousand and six. I believe the the founder of Hydrahead did the artwork for this, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're a pretty good band, pretty important band in that whole scene. Um, they, they kind of splintered off into various different factions, one of them being the All Pigs Must Die. Their lineup was rounded out by Ben Collar of Converge on drums. Adam Wentworth and Matt Woods of Blood Horse. Don't know if you guys have heard them. Um, they're like a no. sludgy kind of doom band. Mm. Very, very kind of very swampy kind of sounding kind of mm. that's the thing you kind of expect from that area of America sometimes as well. And then Brian Izzy of the band Trap Them, who actually sounds like a lighter version of All the Pigs Must Die. Oh, Trap Them are kind of more death and roll with a bit more crust involved more as opposed to yeah, as opposed to yeah. this kind of grindy metalcore stuff that All Pigs Must Die do. Ready 
So I'm going to just guess that maybe his name's pronounced Itzy, but I could be wrong there. Could be. Itzy. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but he he wasn't actually in the band until their final album, so he's not on this one, is he? Yeah, he's not on this one. The, all, the, all the guitars on this one recorded by... Adam. I always get as Adam, yeah. I always get Adam and Matt mixed yeah. up. But I don't know why. Adam's a guitarist, Matt's a bass player. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the last album has two guitars on it, supposedly because they wanted to start being able to do the studio stuff justice live and to give themselves a few more options. Mm. Um, they are very much a genre band. I mean, well, first of all, I saw them written down as metalcore supergroup, but I mean, there's a bit more to them than that, I guess, description wise. What would you call them, Mark? I'd call them probably metallic hardcore. Mostly because they incorporate so many different kinds of metal into their sound, and that's something we'll go we'll talk about as we go through their discography. They, they contain multitudes of Swedish, Norwegian black metal, Swedish death metal. You know, there's there is some metalcore on there, which was kind of quite common in the east coast of America around about the time they started. Um, yeah, very much a, a hodgepodge of different sounds, and Ben Collar really holds it down on drums because he can do fucking everything. Uh, I've seen them referred to as crust-infused hardcore as well by Echoes and Dust, and I think there is definitely a crusty griminess to them. Uh, we should probably mention, whilst he's not a member of the band, somebody that is absolutely integral to this band uh, is Kurt Ballou mm-hmm. of, of Converge and God City. Some, something of a friend of the pod, somebody that's, that's retweeted us a few times. Um, a lovely guy as well. Uh, his work as an engineer uh, and in mixing, uh, for these guys as exemplary as ever it's absolutely brittle and full and clipping but clipping in the good way all over the place it's just such a big sound and very few people can really bring that sort of really abrasive quality to this music the, the way that uh, Kurt Ballou can and he, he's worked with them on all of the records mm-hmm. so uh, and I know that they really feel that Kurt is very honest with them and feels very at liberty to suggest things during the recording process, things that he thinks are or are not working. Uh, and they really kind of value his input at this point as well. So it's one of those situations where you've got a sort of extra member who's a big part of where, where the band's ended up. I will say I don't think this band would have ended up on this podcast if it wasn't for Kurt's involvement. Okay. I think a lot of what's striking about all of the records is the the way the production maximises the music behind it. It's a big part of why they, to some extent, stand out from the crowd. So, yeah, discuss. But we kind <laughs> of, I feel like we discussed that a little bit on the Nails episode. Because, yeah. I mean, we were talking about this kind of genre of music and that, that sort of the scoop metal zone sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the trap them... Who else? Like Black Breath, Young and in the Way, uh, Baptists, Neighbor. You know, even like Full of Hell and stuff like that are taking metal, hardcore, D beat, and then putting it through a just a absurdly scooped sound quite often having Kurt Ballou produce it and then uh, yeah having varying degrees of success on it and it's um, yeah I guess you mentioned that they're also that they're a super group as well and I think that maybe has an effect on their specific sound and how expansive they decide to be or how not expansive they decide to be yeah they've got other outlets and so they don't feel the need to explore so many territories maybe with this this is kind of 
very much one thing, or to some more or less very much one thing. Yeah, I mean the, the the kind of music that they play is is the kind of music that nobody in the band plays elsewhere. So that's a good way of putting it. I mean, Trap Them are, are are a lot more entombed, a lot more death and roll. They're probably the closest band to this band, and obviously Converge in places, but Converge have way more strings to their bow, as we spoke about way back at the very fucking beginning of this podcast, almost three and a half years ago. Yeah, uh, if you're a Converge fan, go back and listen to our episode on Jane Doe, which mm. was a labour of love. But I guess it's quite it is quite interesting. Like quite often, supergroups or just side projects. You know, there's two reasons for their being. It's often to allow experimentation that the main groups wouldn't allow, or it's the exact opposite, and they allow artists to just focus on one genre or one part of their sound that they wouldn't, you know, that they'd otherwise expand on in the main band. You know, so in this instance, it's you know the guys are just going alright, we're not going to do like a 14 minute Eagles Become Vultures or whatever. We're just going to fucking grind fuck out of it. Yeah, it, it can quite often be a case of something as simple as, you know, you get chatting about a particular love for a particular subgenre and, and you say to somebody, oh, we should totally do something like that. It'd be fun just to do one thing. Mm-hmm. And you maybe set out to just do one thing and then it kind of turns into something else if it goes well, but it just keeps going. But yeah, yeah you're you right, get really actually. good at that one thing, but at no point are they going to go, oh, we should do an acoustic track or we should do a 19-minute post-metal song because that's what all their other bands are for. I think we should probably put an asterisk on there because there are definitely some moments of variation on this album especially and the third one. Yeah, Um, yeah. I I looked at a list, I think it was Adam had written a list of like 10 of the biggest influences on the band across the different members and it was like a very eclectic list. I uh, pulled some out of that that are maybe, you know, more obvious. Like Arise by Sepultura was on there, and I think that that album in particular is a, a fairly obvious touchstone, especially for the, the genesis of the sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was other things such as like Ulver were on it, which showed like a, clearly they've got an awareness of some of the more experimental extreme music. There was a band called Trouble who, I get the feeling Trouble, like the album Sam 9 is probably something that we'll talk about at one point. They're, they're actually, I think they're actually a Christian band to some extent, but um, they were one of the very first Doom bands, you know, back, I think it was 1984, Sam 9 came out. It was originally called Trouble. But uh, yeah, total uh, like progenitors of that sound, maybe only preceded by somebody like Witchfinder General, but like very early on. And they make an appearance in that list of influences and you can hear it a little bit, certainly in the last track in this album and other places and, and some of the rest of their catalogue. So yeah, I don't mean to say like every song sounds the same, that, that wouldn't be fair, but Dave's right, it's got a much more consistent uh, sort of central theme to mm. it. I think part of that, just off the bat, without going into this album in too much depth, part of that seem- comes from the 
the single style that the vocalist has. Like a bit unlike Jacob Barron, for example, who can do yelps and screams and growls, and he he, he varies a lot more to maybe match with the different styles of a song. You know, uh, and in this band, uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Baker just really ploughs one furrow, and he ploughs it to death in some cases. You know, it, that that is the thing that I think creates a lot of the homogeneity. Yeah, I've I've got I've got my my own feelings in that. I mean, just Mark, do you want to talk about a wee bit about their their catalogue? Or you want to? Have yeah, a let's just run through it dead quick because this is what this band usually do for the most part is to go through things dead fucking quick. Kicks things off with All Pigs Must Die in 2012, which is our first EP. 2010. 2010, sorry. Pretty good, pretty good blueprint for the sound, but it's also fairly one-dimensional. Um, the Holy Pete itself, I think, actually feels pretty accomplished. Like these are guys that know what they're doing, um, but I think it's not not a dynamic. But I suppose it is an EP, so why would it have to be? Um, like, but it is also it's kind of like that thing where it's it's not like they're a group of teenagers who are finding their feet, musician, you know, and their musicianship and stuff like that. They're all guys who have been doing what they do for, you know, 10, 15 years and they're fucking great. So Mm -hmm. they're just like, this is the sound we want, let's do it. Mm. Just on that subject, that's probably a good time to segue into it. It was interesting reading their accounts of how they write because it's a band that doesn't really rehearse together. They said sometimes before tours they'll get maybe two, maybe three rehearsals. It's, It's not something they're able to just stand about and jam out ideas very often. Uh, They bounce a lot of demos back and forward. I think, you know, we were talking about different types of uh, supergroups there, Dave. Like, I think that probably lends itself to just staying within, you know, in your lane. You know, this is what we're doing. We don't have time to really get too experimental. Like, we're all out touring with other projects. So this is what we're doing. And there's not a lot of, like, in-studio experimentation or there's no f- mad flights of fancy popping up in many of these songs because they've not all been together to enable that to happen certainly when you're writing over distance you tend to write more to a grid anyway you know it tends to be more of a regimented thing and it's harder to just tell people on the other side of the world oh we're going to do a bit here that's kind of magical and kind of hypnotic but sinister and make them understand it it's much easier to have something that's just laid out and that can maybe dictate the formula uh, that can maybe dictate the nature of the music a little bit because of the circumstances they did. I think they have done a few songs together, and maybe you can actually, perhaps, I've not been able to work out which is which, but you can maybe discern the difference in what they're able to do with those tracks when you hear them. But that would maybe account for why some of the stuff is so down the line because they are really busy guys. Ben Collar, in particular, as we've mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it would keep you. It does when you do work remotely. Rather, sorry, it does keep you more focused. It also allows you to shave off the, the rough edges and get really to the point if you want to. You know, all, all the wee sort of extraneous bits can just be put in the bin. And this, uh, this EP does that, you know, Hungry Wolf, Easy Praise, first song, it's a really good opener, it's a really good intro to the band. It doesn't really have that much of a power violence vibe, but they do kind of stray into that territory quite a lot, especially in later albums. And then there's not a lot of songs in this, but I like uh, Sermon for the End. There's a beat down at the end, a blast beat, a beat down into a blast beat, sorry, which is just so much fun. Oh, 
goes into a, a sort of half-time section, which is just pure chef's kiss good. But yeah, then, they, then they, the following year, they, they released God Is War, which is their first album, and it's a bit more expansive. Did you guys think much of this? I liked it. It was a bit. It was quite feral. It feels a bit. It's got a sense of like barely constrained sort of energy that's quite nice and musically. It it, it obviously repeats itself a wee, a wee bit, but that's that's just really what people are buying it for. Almost, I mean, it's sort of like pointless for me to criticise it in that way because a lot of people are like, ah, exactly. That's why it's great. So I don't want to go too far down that road. I like this. I like the rawness of it. I will say um, the sound for this one. I, I just thought it re- really added something. Yeah, yeah, certainly a bit crustier, less metal. Yeah, um, and it like for me, it lacks maybe the lead guitar hooks of their later records that I kind of draw me in. But um, it's a good one to put on if you're not necessarily want to listen to anything melodic. But you just need something to make you really angry, and you don't care exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of it's, it's kind of mood, energy. It, it's sort of mood music in the most twisted sense. It's yeah. like it's you know it's the equivalent of putting on like random gentle piano music, but the opposite end of the spectrum. It's furious and ferocious, but there's not a lot to really distract you. It doesn't. It very rarely pulls you into the the album. For, you know, it doesn't really have that sort of very careful, precise, hooky structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's a decent record. The uh, Death Dealer has got a moody opener, which foreshadows some of the things he would do on uh, "Nothing Violates This Nature" and "Hostage Animal" later on. I like the production is bigger I think it does really work for them in this record it feels colossal at the start there's like so much space around everything it's quite nice mm-hmm. um, the second song I don't know if it's the second song because I haven't actually put this in order but Pulverisation it's got some really nice riffs in it Like you said, there's like a there's a melodic part in that. It's like a death metal sort of hammer on, uh, yeah. sort of harmonised guitar vibe, which is really really cool. Um, and Sacrosanct, it's got some mental guitar and bass solos in it, and it's got a pure black metal bridge towards the towards this kind of slow down outro. Which is just fantastic. It's got like this baseline sort of jumping all over the place, all over, all over it. Really, really good song. And it ends with Sadistic Vindicators, which a lot of bands do, especially in this kind of genre. They'll do like a big outro song, which is doomy and slow. Mm-hmm. And Sadistic Vindicators does that. It's down. Um, it's doomy. It's creepy. filthy, really grimy and that's what this band excel at doing um, they followed that up uh, in 2013 with Nothing Violates This Nature which we will talk about 
They had yeah. a they had an EP in between called Curse of Humanity. I don't know if you clocked it. I did not clock that, no. Um, I don't yeah, know, is that even on Spotify? I don't think it's on Spotify. That. It's not on Spotify. They released it on Southern Lord. I think it might have been vinyl only. Mm. It's on Bandcamp. Sweet. I mean, guess what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not missing much, I suppose. Um, and then, final thing they released so far is the Hostage Animal. Like I said, I, I'd read that they'd kind of stopped being a band, but they still they still show as being active on 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 Wikipedia. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they just stopped for a bit because they're so busy doing other things. They are, mm. and they're all in so many other and so many other bands as well, and probably have some of them probably have full time jobs as well. Uh, so that was And what really distinguished that, I think, was the introduction of Brian Etsy on guitar, mm-hmm. second guitar. Uh, they'd always just been a guitar, bass, drums, vocal lineup, and they were kind of expanding it a wee bit. As I said earlier, the, the reasons they gave in interviews is because they were writing stuff in the studio that they wanted to be able to do justice to live. And yeah, and it gave them just a few more options talking about the way they were writing at distance. You know, they were always very constrained by the format, and it was like maybe their version of trying to get a wee bit more experimental with what they were doing and open up a few more possibilities. Um, I don't necessarily hear a massive, like massive difference. I, this album didn't really do anything for me. Um, I, I don't know. Perhaps it just caught me at the wrong time. I've got a feeling this band in general maybe caught me at the wrong time because I do really like the dynamism of this kind of music. But I was really struggling to engage with a lot of it, um, no matter how many times I put it back on. But this album, more than anything, I just I, I couldn't really get it to register. I think uh, I think it's got a lot of good songs on it. Hostage Animal, the first song, the productions are on our level on this. I think it's actually got some of the best production that they've had so far. It's really mean and nasty sounding. Kind of got that, that kind of black metal wall of sound feel to it. This yeah, one. I mean, I think their three albums they're just like varying degrees of scoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as I, as I said earlier on, I think even though Kurt's not in the band, he's as important to the band as anybody. I think that's a big part of what makes them exciting uh, is a pure impact sonically of and physically actually if you've got it up loud of that music it, it is really fucking dramatic and caustic the way it hits you and I yeah. think you know if they were slickly produced or weakly produced it, I, I don't know that we'd be talking about them frankly I think uh, I think you're probably right to some degree there I can't imagine them having a big was it Gareth Richardson sort of vibe you know something like a Pantera production I don't know if that would really especially work for them but you do yeah, so, can, you get bands like you know that do it on a much more hardcore you know, less scooped, less metal sound. Um, take back the the scoop and the distortion, and maybe play it on fenders, mm-hmm. and um, and that's um, that sometimes works. It just sounds a lot more chaotic and less. I don't know, less funneled through the compressor. Yeah, Hostage Animal I think is on par quite good though. Um, 
there's some nicely guitars on on Hostiano with the song, which is probably where uh, Brian Easy, I suppose, comes in. Um, the vocals are quite submerged in that as well, which is the song is just pure full on rage. And there's a towards the end, there's a little creepy tremolo thing where Ben goes just full tilt on the drums, and it sounds sounds unbelievable. Yeah, I mean Ben's drumming on this. Um, Ben's drumming throughout this band is fucking ridiculous. Throughout his life, I think it's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Period. Yeah, the next song, Caustic Vision. So much chug on it, it's amazing. Uh, if yeah. you get hints of Pantera in it, lots and lots and lots of groove. Um, and then Slave Morality's got a big sludge feel, which I quite like. Kind of new territory for this band. Some really fuzzed out lead guitar work. It's really bluesy mm-hmm. and kind of slow and really doom. It sounds really malevolent. malevolent do you, uh, so, do you think this is a a political band? I don't think so. They're angry. I think, and I think yeah. this album is definitely has more of a point maybe than the last two. Speci- well, well, yeah, I don't know. Can you? Is it political to just hate everything? <laughs> And <laughs> I, I noticed in some of the discussion around them, people were saying that they're more political than their other projects, for example, which tend to be more emotive. You know, Converge was used as an example. So All Pigs Must Die are much more directly topical than Converge, who tend to be more abstract. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. Um, I think just before we talk about the album itself, um, as I said at the start, I don't like their name at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the name for the obvious sort of. I'm not going to get petulant about it, but I don't like it for the obvious connotations regarding the police. Yeah. I think it's bu- I think it's bullshit. Um, you just you just wouldn't get away with that with any other profession. And I know why it's there, and I know it's kind of tongue in cheek, but you're fucking grown men. You know what I mean? Uh, but also, I, if it is political, I don't like the fact that it's named after a Death and June album. I mean, Death and June are very right wing. The people that played on that album are neo-fascists like completely out and out neo-fascists you know they'll do um they'll do perfor- like appearances with white Aryan resistance they'll do all that photographed in american front uniforms they get up to all kinds of fucking shit and i think you know if all pigs must die as a phrase is not just a generic term i mean i tried to find it i get it it's maybe something you see graffitied on a bridge but i think the band should have done a wee bit of due diligence on where does this come from if they claimed ignorance you know they're they're quoting bands like ulver as an influence and i think if you're listening to ulver it's definitely not a big leap to think you're listening to death and june or you know part of that neo-folk scene that came from industrial they're kind of affiliated with a lot of that stuff um and it's catchy, but any any basic research into Death and June highlights just how profoundly problematic a band they are. Douglas Pierce, the main guy, but especially people like Boyd Rice, who's frequently collaborated with, um, David Tibbet from Current 93. There's some real fucking scumbags around that project, and to be sharing the same name as them, I think that's that's not a good look. So I think it just smacks... Overall, I don't think for a minute they, they had a clue about that, and I don't think for a minute that's in line with them, but I think it was a sort of edgelord thing, and also it just shows maybe how shallow a lot of the political sentiment in it is, that he didn't bother to work out whether or not the band that you seem to have taken your name from was actually 
even vaguely on the same side of the political spectrum as you and I would wager that in fact they're not they're very 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 far from it and that's just really jarred me since the first time I found out we were covering them I was like fucking honestly the name of this band just rubs me up in so many the, the, the wrong way in so many levels uh, that I'm like I don't think there's much a chance I'm going to be able to get into this and frankly there wasn't there wasn't I, I think musically it's fine but there's so many things about it that I thought were only fine uh, and then so many other things about it that just kept dragging me out. Like, I was like, this is so fucking generic and this is so over-reliant on production uh, and this is now also got this added fucking stone round its neck of a, a mixture of, like, just stupidity and edgelordness that I've, I've tried very hard to be constructive in my criticism, but that aspect of this band just fucks me off, frankly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so should we talk about the album now? <laughs> do it, do it. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, second album, uh, I picked this one because it's not an album I listen to a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a mood album. It's for a specific reason you listen to it. These, these guys have two speeds, and one of them is just ferocious and angry all the fucking time. I've got a playlist that's called Motivation, but heavy, and it's just for a lot get jazzed up to do work, usually. Um, I'll put that on, and Chaos Arise, the first song on this, is, is the whole Pigs Must Die song that I put on it. I just adore that song it's got really big and muscular production Ben's double kick work is brilliant there's a really big death riff at the start but before it goes into a proper D-beat metallic hardcore vibe which I really dig Kevin's voice is really unhinged in All Pigs Must Die it really wasn't like that and the Hope Conspiracy was kind of closer to Modern Life is War really not as acoustic sounding um, it's actually got a bit of a hook with the Chaos or Rise section kind of repeats over and over again There's a slowdown towards the end before the before going into a really big black metal riff, which I think is really cool. I actually like the structure of this song. He's just chucking different riffs in right, left, and center, uh, and it's just variations on a theme throughout the whole record. Uh, but I think he also rises a really good opener. And I mean that's a du- that's a specific double sepultura reference, isn't it? It has to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you, would, you would hope that that was at least understood. Yeah, but yeah, no, I mean I like this song as well. It's like goes in, it feels very like highly caffeinated uh, Ben's <laughs> drums are really quite jittery and the lead guitar is very very fast that tremolo lead and I like like the big breakdown towards the end is good but it's not like generic mosh it's a little bit more dignified than that <laughs> uh, Silencer is kind of as a continuation of Chaos Arise but it feels more hardcore It's totally just raging for like two minutes and then there's a pause for 30 seconds with a fucking amazing foul right at the back of it and Ben just kills it. They're all killing it in this song, to be honest. Changing tempos on a dime. Don't 
big I think that tremolo lead though is like the sort of thing that makes this record stand out more than the other two because mm-hmm. it's got that like Slayer stroke Scandinavian metal lead guitar hook that um, pulls me in a little bit more than on the, either of the other albums. So the the abundance of hardcore in this album is, is the one that makes it stand out for me. There's a big hardcore riff in the middle of this song that gets me every single time. And Ben's doing some tom work and double kick work to make it sound like the drums are just falling down a set of stairs, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and it's also got it's got a bit of a meat-headed slam riff around one minute twenty-three, uh, right before the second pause. Uh, mm. And sometimes, if you're in a hardcore band, then that's your kind of stock and trade. It's just big dodgy slam riffs, and at the two at the end again with more double kick, and I think it's pretty awesome. Um, Primitive Fear feels quite black metal to me, or maybe black and hardcore. Yeah, I mean, they go pure blast for the first 50 seconds at least, and then they go yeah. do some big mosh. I mean, there's definitely, I'm pushing some people around right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I like the nice big single note on the guitar when the the chorus comes in. It's kind of a lot bit botchy in terms of its tone at least. Uh, and towards the end they kind of make that riff even filthier even groovier the lead guitar comes in I think it's about 3 minute 45 I think that's the part you're talking about Dave mm-hmm. and then they let it all hang out at the end just for that like until the very end of the song they let everything hang I think uh, one of the things that, one of the reasons I like this album is because I think the pacing of it is actually pretty good like they, they'll, they'll do lots of they'll do maybe 2 or 3 rage like pure raging songs and then they'll break it up with something a bit slower it's still intense don't get me wrong it's not like they're fucking going straight down the sludge vibe and making it slow and really swampy but Bloodlines is a really good a really good breather at this point it's kind of really yeah, brooding and malevolent bit, yeah evil Yes, it, it lands a, a wee bit close to something like Sepultura and Mastodon at points as well with that mm-hmm. kind of bigger metallic thing. The the intro in it, that wee mini sort of hippie intro that they have, I think is a callback to the likes of Mah- uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra, which Adam Wentworth has said was an influence on the guys in the band. They listen to a lot of like quite eclectic stuff, as I said, including that. And there's a couple of bits where they have that vaguely Eastern sort of Satari vibe to it, and that's, that's one of them. Uh, and the next one is another one. Yeah, the, 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 both these songs are kind of similar, I guess. Um, when they drop back in, and Bloodlines, when they drop back into that kind of clean Eastern Night part, and then they come back in for the huge beat down at 252. Well, I actually sounded like it was going to fucking tear my stereo in half when I put it on, like, f- quite loud this afternoon when I was working, because I was just having a shitty day in work, and I thought, what is best to put on? I'll put on the album I'm doing tonight, and it, you said you spoke earlier on, Chris, about sometimes like, the way that you feel it hitting you as well. The production definitely gives it that, that, that feeling, I think. It's funny that you um, mentioned Mastodon on that one, because I think 
the start of of suffering is actually pretty much directly lifted from a Mastodon song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think it's Oblivion, but in a different key. But they obviously don't go down the Mastodon route. They uh, kind of go chuggy and then actually a bit Alice in Chainsy with the lead guitar. Yeah, the, the intro actually sounds like Blood Horse. So, uh, if you like Doom, I would recommend checking them out. They're, the last album, Horizon, was pretty good. Um, and it's got some keys, that intro as well, in the background, which makes it feel dead sinister. Mm-hmm. And that single guitar sort of hovering around. So, so when the whole when the whole lead guitar comes in at 145, it just feels dead apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, um, I, I agree that they get a lot of things right about pacing on this. I, I think the only thing is, as a song, of Suffering falls really short of... For for comparison's sake, the converged tunes like um, Cruel Bloom or Phoenix and Flames or Wretched World, those kind of big, slow, doomy, stompy, crunchy ones there, mm-hmm. where there's a bit more of a song underneath it. And I think this does a lot of things, right, that are useful objectively, but I don't think the song itself is particularly strong. I like it. I like both of those songs as a mood kind of, not lifter, but... <laughs> A wee mm. bit of a breather because you, you don't get very much of your mood changed across any of their albums. Then it goes into Holy Plague, which you just knew they were coming back in with something rapid and furious, and they, they totally do that. But I will say that Holy Plague, the start of it, is one of the highlights of the album for me. I think that the really discordant arrangement and the the beat that they come in with, the way it stays really fierce and the chorus especially, I think that's one of the more interesting parts of the record. I think that the breakdown riff is a bit average, but Mm. it kind of lets down the song. But the earlier part is really good. I think the guitars guitars in this one have that really bass-heavy feel but also still that brittle crunch which is what I really like about it and the drumming in it I've written here it sounds like a lift exploding after falling all the way down from the 200th floor of a huge building (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) he's he's totally on fire here see when they're doing the fast palm muting around about 1 minute 4 Ben just he's, he's just doing so much on the drums there It's all completely like overplaying like fuck, but I love it. <laughs> I just fucking love it. I think um, Ben's got a pretty key role in the next one, that Aquim Siege. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only sixty six I mean, seconds long, but I mean, it, yeah, it, it makes it makes the most of it. The, the main riff, for starters, that uh, the weird main riff is really good. It's really interesting. And when the drums switch for blasts into that D-beat thing, that clicks really well. Mm. 
and I think it's it's also got a sort of entombed thing at the end. But again, I think it's I like the idea, but I don't think the actual writing is great. I like I think that beat down at the end is a bit. It's probably the best one on the record. It's my favourite one on the record anyway, and the record is full of them. I also like the bouncy riff. I say bouncy, but it feels bouncy around twenty five seconds. That's pretty yeah. cool. Um, I think I think the whole album. Uh, one of the reasons I don't listen to it often is because I find I find it quite intense to the point where I find it hard to sit through it all in one go. I need to be in a really specific headspace to do that. But Secret Nothing has got some of the some of the best guitar work on it. It's like seriously like spider hand riffs like all over the shop. Totally furious, man! Like just churning through like grind and crust elements yeah. with total recklessness. Yeah, there's quite yeah, a lot of woodly death on it. It, <laughs> it, de- it definitely is. I just think it's a mess, though. I think it's just a lot of ideas by the book. There's no real song in it. There's no hooks in it. I think that song's a bit of a waste of space. I love the, the big groovy ending as well. It feels like it, and before he does that, there's a massive double kick fill, which feels like you're getting shot in the chest with a machine gun. And then Faith Eater. Kind of an all sword temple song. Um, mm-hmm. More technical. Yeah, yeah I well, like the fast well, we lead flourishes on it. Mm-hmm. Sort of diminished minor chords in there that make it a, even a little bit sort of emo, like in the guitar, but then nice like sort of fast tap-ons that are actually quite every time I die cancer batsy a little bit a bit mm-hmm. bluesier um, I, again an ending that I get the idea but just musically I just I'm totally uninspired by the you know the court the, the choice of progressions and stuff I think it it does a job it just I think it does just an average job of it though mm. when I listened to this song in the notes for this one of the things that made me realise is uh, Ben does a lot of double kick stuff on Converge obviously and a lot of uh, on Mutoid Man as well he doesn't do it so much on this he kind of tries to keep it more traditionally DBA and hardcore when he does roll it out though it's, I think it's really well used and this is a really good example um, and then the last song is Articles of Human Weakness I think that main riff at the start is actually quite oddly catchy. It's like death metally. Yeah, it's almost out the gates. Yeah, and this you know it's something strange about this song because the last two songs feel very slightly different in the mix. Um, I mean, I'm assuming they were all mastered at the same time, but the vocals and articles of human weakness are a, a lot lower. Yeah. 
and the, the whole song again it's really caustic and really furious really saturated um, but actually I, I like the song maybe the most of the album because that buried approach to the vocal certainly for the first part of the song really works and I like the fact that the chorus what they actually do is they just clean up the song in the chorus like the things that are really rackety and noisy just suddenly tighten up a wee bit to demarcate the chorus and then they loosen up again for the verses that's cool The kind of proggy ending thing I think is is okay. Again, they do a few of these endings and they try and go big and I just don't think songwriting-wise they can go big. Um, but I definitely really like the start of that tune. I think it's got a really interesting approach and that, that different take on the production in it works for me. It makes it a bit more like their first album actually where it's a bit more crusty and, and nasty and a bit more 13th note and less garage. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like the bass tone at the end. I think it's so horrible and outrageous that it should just be banned from being used ever again. Could be a human rights, right? Could be a human rights violation, actually. <laughs> um, There's a lot of bands that are like this and they, they, I think of all the bands that are like this that I enjoy, I think you're right Chris when you say that they, they do me stuff, they don't really land it quite right. There's, there's other bands that do better frankly, but it works really well for them I think. You know, in some places it's just not as accomplished as some of their contemporaries. Mm-hmm. But on the whole I think it's a really good album. It's, it, is, it is two speeds. I like that. Um, it's, it is vicious. Sometimes it's good to get your face ripped off um, and this is the one I always go back to. If I want to think about it, I'll put on a Converge album. If I don't want to think about it, I'll put this on. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I guess we know Chris's view on it. I, yeah. I'd say I'm kind of like half and half. I'm a bit on the fence because what it does, it does very well. I, I'm more of a fan of it than um, than Chris is. Like, I think it's really good at what it wants to do. But I'm not sure... It's funny that you talked about songs on it being on a playlist for the gym and a lot of songs by All Pigs Must Die are on playlists that I have, heavy playlists that I put on in the car or put on whenever, but do I ever go back and listen to this album? Not really. Do I listen to an All Pigs Must Die album? I'm not sure I ever do, like, from beginning to end, because, like, I don't know if it's just them or... I, yeah, I'll listen to Converge because it takes me on an emotional journey. I'll listen to, mm-hmm. you know, even like Poison the Well or, you know, stuff like that. Do I listen to a Trap Them album? I'm not sure if I do. Do I listen to a Youngin' in the Way album? I'm not sure if I do. I listen to some of those songs on repeat in a playlist all the time and I love some of the riffs and some of the, some, some songs are like some of my most played songs because they're absolutely about mood. But yeah, I don't know if it's this genre or if it's this band, but I don't know if this album works for me as an album. It's just like Mm -hmm. a collection of very well-made, heavy songs. Rather, Yeah, I mean, 
That's a great point because I think they converge things inescapable at this point, but there are tracks that pop up in Converge albums here and there that do a very similar job and I love them. Like, And I individually can really enjoy this and it's not like I, I don't like this kind of music, I do. But over the course of an album, I just don't necessarily see the point in it. There is no journey... I'm not really feeling it. If I, if I wanted to have it in my vinyl collection because it reminded me of a really fun night I had at 13th Note, for example, then yeah, it's the kind of album I would buy if I'd just seen a kick-ass band rip it up on like a Wednesday night and you leave uh, sweaty and full of adrenaline, then yeah, I think my enthusiasm and my, 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 my wish to demarcate that memory would make me buy it. But when I'm not attached to it in any emotional level, and in fact, as I said, there's things about it that kind of repel me a wee bit, then there's nothing essential about it to me. It's doing a thing that a lot of other bands do. It sounds better, which I think is down to cut, really. Yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine. I was kind of on the fence about it, but I think, to be totally honest with you, I'm leaning, I'm going to fall off the fence in the side and no. Not because I don't think it was worthwhile to listen to, but just because, like Dave says, as an album, I don't give a fuck. If if you slam a couple of these tunes on, I'll be like, yes. Especially if you get me in the right mood. But the whole package of the band and the... Nah, don't give a shit. I'm going to find an album which is by a band like this that is going to elicit a feeling in both of these. Um, that's going to be my mission over the course of the next however long. <laughs> that's fine. we into it. Um, so, I mean, it's not really up to us anyway. It's up to you, the listener, who we are speaking directly to. And you can go, go and vote on Facebook again. Zuckerberg has yes. allowed it, can't you? So, yes. Uh, go to Facebook. Chris. I can't. Yeah. Well, yeah, Chris isn't allowed. <laughs> Facebook.com slash unsuggen pod. And it, the poll should be pinned up there. So, should this be part oh, of the discography oh. or not? I uh, fucking didn't even gain them the advertising. Bastards. <laughs> We're going to have to create our own global, global, uh, yeah, destructive force. Yeah. Um, so it is at. now time for Mark to cheat at the Nexus and uh, <laughs> cheat at the Nexus. <laughs> the, this is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in this, store this for us? Not good for- Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you. This is what you want. Yeah. Um, so yeah. who did, who chose? I, I believe that we're linking "All Pigs Must Die" to Molly Ringwald. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, who chose that? Tommy Smith. Great. Great work. And uh, Mark, seeing as it's your album, it's uh, you to kick us off. Alright, so Ben Kohler plays drums in All Pigs Must Die. He's also the Mutoid Man. Mutoid Man are, of course, the house band for Two Minutes to Late Night. Mm-hmm. But he's also been getting involved in a lot of these uh, these lockdown covers that Guarcinio Hall, the host, has been arranging as part of, part of Two Minutes to Late Night because he can't get in the studio. Um, back in August, Ben played drums on a cover of Rebel Yell, Billy Idol's song. Which featured members of Bury Your Dead, Machine Heads, Potions and Havoc um, 
of the original Billy Idol album, Rebel Yell, was produced by Keith Forsey. He's an English producer who would later go on to produce Flashdance. What a feeling, he actually wrote that as well. And he had a bunch of songs in 80s films, such as Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills Cop, and he also co-wrote Don't You Forget About Me. Oh, yes. Wow. Um, which was co-written with him and Steve Schiff. Simple Minds famously directed, uh, rejected the song and then changed their mind after uh, other bands rejected it. They came back to it and thought they would do it. Um, but not only was Molly Ringwald in the Breakfast Club, but she actually recorded a jazz version of the song on her 2013 debut album, Except Sometimes. Interesting. Job's a good one. Well, there you are. Uh, shall I go next, Chris? Yeah, feel free, because mine's a bit of a monster. Um, well, All Pigs Must Die, if you hadn't heard, feature Ben Collar from Converge. Uh, <laughs> Converge in 2020 contributed a new song called I Won't Let You Go to the soundtrack of Cyberpunk 2077. It's a good uh, song. And it was under the name Shattered Void. Uh, I haven't actually heard it yet. Cyberpunk 2077 I've not played it but I mean it looks great apart from all the loads of glitches in it I put um, 90 hours into it oh have you? Yeah. is it worth it? is it good? I think the story's great man there was a lot of bugs that did crash a lot on me and there were some bugs I didn't have any bugs which broke the game thankfully for mm. progression missions and all that but there were definitely a few in there that I did miss but a lot of other people got um a big part of it is like the voice acting and they've got some interesting actors including Keanu Reeves uh, Grimes as well is in there. Yep, she's in it, huh? And uh, Masani Tsukiyama portrays Arasaka Corporation leader Saburo Arasaka. And Masani oh, um, is a fairly famous Japanese actor and voice actor and he's best known for dubbing over big American and English actors on Hollywood movies. So he's dubbed over most of Kevin Costner, Robert De Niro, Liam Neeson. He's like the go-to voice for those guys. And also Richard Gere. Um, He's done Richard Gere in a couple of movies. One movie that he didn't dub Richard Gere on was Movie 43. Oh dear. uh, Which, I don't know if anybody's actually watched it, but it's like... Never seen it. It's meant to be one of the worst films of all time. Yeah, infamously... People were like, "How did any of these actors appear in this? They must, they must have all been blackmailed." Um, Richard Gere was one who did take part, but tried to get out of the project as soon as he realised like that it was going to be fucking terrible. But he did end up in it. Um, but I mean, the cast is unbelievable. It's like Halle Berry, Gerard Butler, Richard Gere, Chloe Grace Moretz, Chris Pratt, Kate Winslet, Julianne Moore. Emma Stone, Uma Thurman, Johnny Knoxville, Hugh Jackman, and Terence Howard. Now, Terence Howard, I actually just watched him a couple of nights ago uh, in that big Dennis Villeneuve movie with, what's his name, Hugh Jackman and Prisoners. Hal. Prisoners, which is really good. Great. Enjoyed that a lot. Um, so Terence Howard, uh, his first major roles were in Dead Presidents and Mr. Holland's Opus, and he's been in like a few shit films like 
Get Rich or Die Trying, uh, the 50 Cent movie, <laughs> and uh, Big Mama's House. Uh, and he was also James Rhodes in Iron Man, but then I think he was replaced by John- Don Cheadle for the, the rest of the cinematic universe. Terrence Howard. Let me tell you about Terrence Howard. Did you know that Terrence Howard has formulated his own language of logic? He calls it Terryology. <laughs> and uh, he explained in an interview in 2015 with Rolling Stone that uh, Terryology, he'd kept it a secret until he'd patented it. And this was him just uh, deciding to release it. And this log- log- logic language would be used to prove his contention that one times one equals two. <laughs> Wow. How can it equal one, he said. If one times one equals one, that means that two is of no value because one times itself has no effect. One times one equals two because the square root of four is two. So what's the square root of two? Should be one, but we're told it's two. Are we? (laughs) And that cannot be. Um, So... There's a whole issue. Apparently, he's claimed that he has a doctorate and a PhD and stuff like that. And then people have found out that he's made it up and that he was part of a course but actually left and he didn't actually finish anything. Is it a joke or is he cracked? Uh, no, he's cracked. He's, a f- he's f- <laughs> He published proof on Twitter that one times one equals two. And it was heavily criticised for containing mm-hmm. multiple logical errors and faulty reasoning. Well, well technically... Technically speaking, Twitter probably is peer-reviewed in the sense (laughs) (laughs) a lot of peers on there. Uh, He stated that he spends many hours a day constructing models of plastic and wire that he's painted and claims to confirm his belief regarding this hypothesis. Oh my goodness. Um, You can go on and look at his Twitter proof. And I mean, it's amazing. Like, he actually Mm. believes it and... I'm not going to lie, there are multiple logical errors there. <laughs> the boy's a fucking moron. Um, he's also, I mean, he's also been done by, like, there's, like, domestic violence incidents and stuff like that. So not just a moron, he's a prick as well. Um, but it hasn't stopped him working, uh, obviously, because when has that ever stopped anybody working? Because everybody's too scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, or he's, you know, they've said no to him, and he thinks that means yes, I don't know. Um, he stars in this television series called Empire, and he's the main character, Lucius Leon. Recent, I, I, I don't know anything about it. I don't really watch TV. Is it something to do with... It's like a fictional hip-hop drama series, I think. Um, and later on in like season three or four, his antagonist is played by Judd Nelson. And Judd Nelson is most famous for his role as John Bender in The Breakfast Club, the motherfucker who puts his fist up in the air as he's walking away from school. He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. And he goes on a date with Molly Ringwald. So there you are. Terryology, guys. Terry fuckingology. Go and read up. Do you know that uh, Terrence Howard was the highest paid actor in the first Iron Man? Yep. Well, there you are. That's mad, eh? Yeah. Right. You strap yourselves in. I'll be as quick as I can, but my blood's going to get up. All Pigs Must Die, as I said, have the same name as an album by the band Death in June, right? And it seems very long odds that if that's a coincidence, okay? It could be, of course, but even if it is, a little bit of fucking due diligence might have told you that you have the same name as an album by a band that are notoriously 
uh, or a project that's notoriously far right. Um, that album featured uh, Douglas P, who's the main guy from Death in June, and it also featured the contribution from Boyd Rice, who also makes music under his own name and the name Non, N-O-N. Uh, Boyd Rice uh, and a guy called Bob Hike, uh, who's the founder of the American Front, appeared in American Front uniforms for, of all things, teen magazine Sassy. <laughs> I mean, in one of the weirdest fucking moments that has to exist in contemporary pop culture, um, I think it's the same edition as well, where like Kurt and Courtney were on the front cover of Sassy magazine, and Bob Hike. Uh, and Bob Rice, uh, Boyd Rice, were in the inside uh, in these fascist uniforms. Um, I got kicked off Facebook for just losing my fucking rag with the amount of people trying to like kick up dust and like run defense for Boyd Rice to a lesser extent, but definitely Death and June and Douglas P. Oh, you know, it's just it's edge lord behavior, it's trolling. It's like with Boyd Rice, it's, it's definitely not. He's been in numerous magazines, he's been photographed in uniforms, he's got all kinds of stuff out there in the ether that you can go and fucking look up. I mean, it's just there's so many different things. And with Douglas P, given some of his other associations and some of the things they've been up to, he must be the unluckiest guy in the world to have also featured Nazi images, Nazi titles. His fucking band is named after the Night of the Long Knives. He's out there saying that he's a, a national Bolshevist, which is uh, basically the SA, the brown shirts, uh, sort of Ernest Drum and Strasser's part of the Nazi party. You know, and he thinks that that's a good thing. Anyway... Uh, Boyd Rice appeared on the show Race Realism, which is hosted by a guy called Tom Metzger. Tom Metzger is a guy that set up war, aka White Aryan Resistance. Now, Tom Metzger, you might know from a Louis Theroux special, Louis and the Nazis, which uh, aired in 2003 uh, on the BBC. That's the one that had Lamin Links uh, and stuff in it as well. Um, the BBC is funded by the BBC licence fee. Okay. <laughs> That's a good link, yep. Yeah, right, it counts. It's an obligatory payment that people in other countries can't get their fucking heads around, but uh, we are unable to opt out of it, really, other than through a, a series of very complicated hoops that we'd need to jump to prove that we weren't watching or receiving anything BBC-esque. Um, in 1961, in August of 1961, a Goya painting of the Duke of Wellington was stolen from the National Gallery in London by a 61-year-old bus driver called Kempton... Bunton, I think his name was. He was called Kempton because his dad had a good day at the races the day he named him as well. But a 61-year-old bus driver stole this Goya painting of the Duke of Wellington um, and he said that he did it when he finally got caught years later. I think it was like four years later. He did it to protest the obligatory payment of the TV licence by pensioners. By the uh, way, that I'm Goya that. painting... That's cool, eh? That Goya painting has a particularly cool bit of trivia in that it got stolen in 1961 and the following year, the film Dr. No was released. And if you watch Dr. No, Sean Connery actually stops in one of the corridors when he gets to like Dr. No's secret evil guy base and admires the portrait of the Duke of Wellington by Goya mm-hmm. as a sort of reference to this still missing painting, as though he insinuated that Dr. No was the one that stole it. So that's pretty cool. Um, anyway, other works of Goya can be seen in Museo Nacional del Prado in Madrid. Uh, and also in that museum, you can go and see The Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch, or El Bosco, as he's also known. In that painting, The Garden of Earthly Delights, in the third panel, it's a, it's a what do they call it again? Uh, triptych. Triptych. 
Um, the third panel is hell. And if you look very closely at that third panel, down the bottom, you'll see a wee pink bum that has uh, music notes written on it being sort of graffitied by a, a little monster, right? And this is known as El Bosco's butt music, okay? <laughs> a, a number of people uh, actually took the time to, to play El Bosco's butt music, to turn it into proper music, and I'm going to put a clip of it in now. That is a surprisingly uh, nice sound of El Bosco's butt music. Um, that version was by Andro and James Spillink, and it was on an album that they released called Loose Change. Uh, also featured on the album Loose Change was the track Eleanor Plunkett. Eleanor Plunkett refers to, uh, it's an ancient Irish folk song about uh, a lone woman survivor after her 30 other family members were locked inside the house and, quote, Destroyed by boiling water. (laughs) 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 That song was written by a famous Irish folk musician called Turlow O'Carolan, who was also a blind harpist. Okay. Now, Turlow O'Carolan happens to have, yep, happens (laughs) to have a crater on Mercury named after him. Obviously, the Carolan crater. Uh, And on Mercury, you will also find a crater called Disney. Disney creator. <laughs> and in 1988, at the age of 12, Molly Ringwald sang lead vocals on an album called Yankee Doodle Mickey, which was like a weird patriotic album of American anthems, including her singing Star Spangled Banner, This Is My Country, and God Bless America. God bless America. And that was obviously released by the Disney Corporation. Wonderful. Yep. So there you go. All right. Change of pace next week, though, guys. Yes. What yep. we're we doing? Or in fact, what are you guys doing? I'm I'm moving house, so I'm not here. Yep. Dave is moving house. He'll be replaced by Vicky Henry, and uh, Ball was in Vicky's court, and Vicky has decided to. Uh, this will be her first time doing this. She's picked "Dumb Flesh" by Blank Mass. Yeah, Blank Mass obviously being a, a former interviewee and a friend of the pod, uh, but Vicky's going to go to the mat for that album. Uh, we will be nexusing. Yeah, who are we nexusing to, or who are you nexusing to? Oh, Dave, you're going to be missing out. Blank Mass to Jesus fucking Christ, Varg Vikernes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, brilliant! Courtesy of uh, Declan McCafferty. Tremendous. It had to happen I mean, at some point. So, and you know what, that Mark, gonna... you can probably offend Ben the most by trying to find the shortest route. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to listening next week. Thanks, lads. Uh, David, you have our sympathies. Good luck moving that house. I'm away to count the, the minutes and seconds until I can get back on Facebook and put the fucking world to rights. Those fucking Nazi <laughs> bastards are going out there unchecked right now. Cheers. Bye, everybody. Speak soon.